You're listening to a Make Mom Proud Project. Come with me. It is the only way. We don't always know, do we? Sometimes it takes someone else, even a near stranger, to implore us to search our own feelings. My personal queer origin story began, because of course it did, at Dragon Con in 2019. If you attended that year, you might recall a little speaker fire in a ballroom at the Sheraton. I was totally there, just hanging out, waiting to run sound for the burlesque show when we were all escorted out of the building. And there, standing on a nerdy Atlanta sidewalk, someone just started talking to me. We'd never met, and in fact, she had just moved to Georgia. She expressed having a hard time connecting with people down here and how encouraging, therefore, Dragon Con had been. And then she paused and looked at me and said, well, you know, you're queer, right? There is no escape. Well, you know, you're queer, right? And I said, yeah, a little bit because I didn't want her to feel bad for asking, but also as I searched my feelings, I knew it to be true. I promise I will eventually talk about other characters in this franchise on this podcast, but rewatching Empire this morning, especially as I get older, my love for Luke Skywalker grows by the day. When he is told by Vader, by his own father, that there is no escape, that he is beaten, that there is no other way. You know what? Luke Skywalker fucking finds one. There is always an escape. And it may feel at the time like you were falling down a bottomless chasm, but you are not. You are never truly beaten. Welcome to Star Wars Made Me Gay, Episode 2. I'm Danny Hurd. Here we go. today to talk about The Empire Strikes Back is our good friend, Stephen Michael Brown. Stephen, my first question, how are you today? I am doing great. It is an honor to be on your podcast, and I love Empire Strikes Back as well. I'm so glad. Can you uh, give us like a little introduction to the audience? Can you tell us a little bit about your background, who you are? Sure. Well, by day, I run a public relations firm called Cookerly PR, but my side hustle at night is being a movie reviewer for silverscreencapture.com. And I am 47 years old. I came out at age 24 and um, m watched most of the original trilogy, I guess, many, many times before that and have some things to say about the entire franchise. But Empire was always my favorite. And uh, my dolls as a kid were my action figures. And I definitely explored a lot of things that those characters actually did and maybe some allegories that they could be a part of. Ooh, I definitely want to put a pin on that because that sounds fascinating. Um, but I want to start with why do you think, because I think uh, it's not uncommon. I think we, we laud Empire as the best, as our favorite. For you, where does that come from? Why do you think it's your fave? Sure. It is all because of the journey and the ambiguity. So you mm -hmm. start off with A New Hope where you've got an ordinary guy in an ordinary place who dreams of something bigger, a larger destiny. And by the time you get to Empire Strikes Back, 
every character, whether you identify with Luke, Leia, Han, all the above, the longtime companions, C-3PO and R2-D2, any one of those, they get beaten and battered throughout this movie. It is a tough movie from Wampas ripping, <laughs> ripping your face off to Vader cutting your hand off to C-3PO being put into scrap to uh, Han Solo being frozen in carbonite. And it's just a lot of the hard knocks of life. It's a very relatable movie of having to struggle. And you've got characters that are trying to bring you on and give you that hope. And if I read the allegory of the Skywalker saga as him going from an ordinary guy to finding his destiny, just like many queer people may be trying to find out what they're really, <laughs> what their green lightsaber is eventually. Oh. <laughs> um, it does feel like you're on that journey and you're actually dealing with the internal struggle and the external struggle. And uh, it's just got a lot of meat to it as a movie. Absolutely. Oh, that's beautiful. Which I'm going to warn you in advance. That's beautiful is turning into the tagline of this podcast because I say it constantly. I will hashtag it. I can't wait. <laughs> well, so far, everyone has had really beautiful things to say and I get so excited. Um, do you, pivoting from Empire specifically for a second, do you remember how you first got introduced to Star Wars? Like, where did it start for you? Yeah, so believe it or not, Empire was the first one I saw in the theater. Oh, I love that. I actually had the little books that you would listen to where R2-D2 would beep and you'd go to the next page. It was like a children's book. They had a one for Disney that had Tinkerbell at the end of each page. Yeah. This was a little R2-D2 sound and you went to the next page. So I'd read A New Hope, but I'd never seen A New Hope. Back then you didn't have video cassettes or anything. So it was Empire coming out of the theater before Star Wars A New Hope got re-released soon after. And so it was my first one in the theater. And from that first spaceship and that probe droid coming down to Hoth, I mean, I was just mm -hmm. hooked by the adventure. And you knew Luke Skywalker was your hero, whether you'd seen the first one or not. And you knew that you were going to follow his journey. And Han and Leia got such snappy dialogue. And you just fell in love with the swashbuckler and got to see Leia really asserting herself as a leader. So there was nothing not to like in watching that, except for it having a sad ending. Sure. I love, uh, because I want to, I, I love the sentiment that, you know, Luke is your hero. Um, because we do, I think wherever we join the, the Star Wars story, um, I mean, I guess not as much in the prequels, but, but certainly I feel like episodes four through nine, we, you know, that's your guy. And I, I actually remember reading an essay once where um, the essayist Chuck Klosterman, of whom I'm a big fan, but he kind of tried to make the point like, well, you love Luke when you're a kid and when you're an adult, you want to be Han. Um, and I honestly, as I am getting older, and I think for me, and I just wonder if this uh, sparkles for you at all, as I become more in touch with my queerness, I just continue to... Luke Skywalker means more to me now than I think he even meant to me when I was a child. Um, and I'm just wondering, especially, you know, speaking to queer allegories and sort of representation and those beautiful connections that we can make with fictional characters to see ourselves. Is there a Star Wars character like that for you? Um, because mine is 100% Luke. Mine is Luke as well. So yeah. I agree with you on that. And I think we have a special insight into him because of seeing him throughout his entire life. And despite what anybody may say about some of the controversies about his character was handled as an older adult, 
Um, I think it's really interesting to see somebody who has aspirations and is meeting those and then later on sort of questioning some of the things they've even grown up on. And um, you can believe fully in being a Jedi and still later on uh, have difficulties, sort of like people do with their church or with their mm. America. Um, and it's not wrong to question those things uh, to love them even more. And so I think it's fascinating to have a, a later day Luke Skywalker come back to us in The Last Jedi to spend that kind of time with us, to have that sort of gruff and cavalier and questioning attitude. I mean, it probably set a lot of people, but did, a flutter. But um, I think having that Luke later on is just amazing. And uh, that is the character we all can put ourselves into. He's the protagonist and it's, uh, we can love the other characters for different reasons. And I, don't, I just don't think you could watch, you may have other guests that do who would watch the whole thing and say, Han is the one they relate to. I think mm -hmm. it's the one that maybe a lot of people were in lust with or in love with or wish they were or so-and-so, but Luke is the journey you're following in this, in this, in this part of the saga. Well, it makes me think it's, it's so funny because I actually, as you were speaking, I was clocking for myself. As a kid growing up, I tended to not relate to the protagonist. I think I felt like I had to see myself as a side character because I was kind of weird and nerdy and awkward and therefore the hero's journey couldn't belong to me. So honestly, I think Luke Skywalker, um, and I talked about this a little bit in the New Hope episode, you know, it, as, when we first meet him, he's kind of like an awkward nerd, like he's kind of a dork. And we watch him grow up and come into himself. And, you know, and I think Luke was really the first protagonist that felt accessible to me as a kid who felt more like an outsider. Um, I'm just wondering, like, sort of not Star Wars for a minute, but did you have any other uh, fictional characters growing up who who kind of meant a lot to you for, for those identification purposes? That's a great question. Um, you know, I probably like the hero in most movies, uh, but I definitely, I guess a lot of 80s movies um, had sort of a sidekick character who probably was telling um, telling more truths than sometimes the main one was. Yeah. Uh, I recently was watching one of the WandaVision episodes where um, I don't know the name of the woman who comes back, but she was from the Thor movies. And Oh, yeah, Darcy. Darcy, thank you. Darcy's the kind of sarcastic, sardonic side character that brings life. In fact, she deserves her own show. Uh, <laughs> but that kind of a character is always fun in movies. And I'm sure I was relating to that sidekick who was sardonically commenting on the action a lot of the time. We don't really get one of those. I don't want to say that C-3PO is that one in Star Wars uh, because I don't necessarily know if his comments are all that useful. Uh, right. <laughs> but I definitely like the idea of the sidekick that's really sort of experiencing the adventure from almost in the middle, uh, but doesn't quite feel like they're in the center pantheon of the, the heroism. I do think that Luke Skywalker himself, um, you can... His character isn't that deep in the first trilogy, honestly. So you can add a lot of yourself to that character because he's sort of taken on an adventure that he doesn't even know what it's going to be and ultimately discovers more elements about it. So it's not like he's a swaggering uh, big man on campus or something in the first. Right. Um, sort of a loner who's just helping his family. But um, now that's interesting what you say about other characters and other, and other fiction. Um, I do love movies about coming of age movies and movies where there's an outsider. So I'm the kind of person that um, is going to be bawling at a perks of being a wallflower or uh, boyhood. 
um, almost always that loner kid. So I probably added to Luke Skywalker, my own childhood feelings, my own action figure of Luke Skywalker doing other things, maybe <laughs> having tea with somebody, whatever else he might be doing and blue milk. And so, um, yeah, it is interesting to look at that character as an outsider because he sort of is, and he, um, he doesn't even get to spend that much time on the adventures with the other folks in the second movie in empire. He is off by himself, sort of finding his own quest and, uh, you know, finding a, a small little green character that will give him more um, more feelings. So um, he didn't get to go in a lot of the big adventures with Han and Lando and others. So it's interesting. I I need to know if you're comfortable sharing who did who did action figure Luke have tea with? Oh gosh, everyone. We <laughs> <laughs> had early discussions. Uh, uh, Luke and Lando had tea sometimes. Uh, uh, I, probably all of them actually would sit around. I had this little uh, carousel of slides that I considered like a rotating restaurant in my Star Wars universe. And so different characters would sit inside it and discuss uh, whatever the topic of the day was. I love that so much. That makes me obscenely happy. Um, now, I want to... I want to dive back into Empire specifically for a minute because I know you rewatched recently and I'm wondering if in your experience of rewatching Empire with this sort of the queer lens of this podcast, was there anything maybe new that stood out to you or anything that hit in a different way? Um, there was. Okay, cool. There was. And one of the things I didn't know until preparing for today was that the cinematographer of Empire Strikes Back Peter Sajitsky was the cinematographer also for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And once my mind of information, it changed everything as well. I was thinking through uh, Dr. Frankenfurter's lair where he's creating Rocky and I was watching the uh, Cloud City uh, carbon chamber and I was just, I was, I was actually seeing the lighting and some things that, you know, that he was able to do on a lower budget with Rocky Horror that, I could see the the signs of it once he got to make Empire Strike Back, but I definitely want to give Urban Kirshner the due of being able to create a morally ambiguous universe where characters got hurt, where they mistreated each other, where they lifted each other up, where they made crazy mistakes. And uh, for me, I think watching the foibles of the characters going through this middle section was a lot like what I think a lot of gay folks deal with in their journey. You know, you might have heeded the call that you're going to be a queer person and you might think you're on the journey to being able to make that revelation or that discovery about yourself. And this was a lot of that just falling down a lot, that journey of falling down and lifting up constantly. The movie sort of in its three act structure, almost like an opera where you've got part, you've got the characters split up and finding their own selves and their journeys. And then the grand finale that brings it all together and brings some huge revelations for folks um, was just a, a really beautiful metaphor for me about finding yourself and finding your tribe and learning from mentors. Um, it's not lost on me that the Yoda character is sort of like that, that gay mentor that somebody yeah. find uh, the same way Obi Kenobi was as well. But that idea that you're learning from the pioneers of your past, uh, the rebels are hiding out all the time. You know, it's a Stonewall motif of being on their planet uh, the first movie and the second one having to hide out on Hoth and sort of be uh, 
huddled up and trying to figure out um, how you're going to stay away from the the big evils that are out there, and um, you know, just more and more obstacles to face. So, I definitely see a, a lot of queer motifs in it. Uh, hashtag that's beautiful. I I, I want to go back to Yoda because yeah, I felt really struck rewatching this morning about just the feral Muppet energy of original Yoda. And he did really make me think of like this sort of, I don't, you know, this almost sounds stereotypical and I apologize, but this very sort of like kind of flamboyant, almost fabulous, like, like you said, gay mentor. Um, and again, I think the fact that it also starts to speak to obviously and again, I, I I hesitate because humanoid diversity in Star Wars is continually such a, a struggle and an issue. Um, but that sort of already in the second movie, that sort of Jedi diversity of like what, because, you know, Yoda's got that line about like, ooh, you're looking for a warrior or whatever he says. Um, he says it exactly like that. Doesn't he? <laughs> um, but uh, already challenging what a warrior can look like um, and can be. Um, so yeah, hashtag gay Yoda 2021, I think is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> there were people for me in my twenties that would sit me down and tell me things. And, you know, here's why funny girl is a movie you need to see, or, you know, here's why you get to do this in your twenties because you didn't do this in your teenage years. Or, you know, it's like the little, <laughs> the little <laughs> journal of the wills, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> passing along to each other that nobody's seen. It's not written down anywhere, but it's like you're just mesmerized at this little wizard's ability to tell you the little things about yourself. And I think that's why someone like Luke is hanging on every word that he says, as he did with Ben Kenobi. Um, it's like you're getting these little pieces of the past that are going to be so critical to unlocking the doors you're going to need. And it's just not written down. There's no fiction or fan fiction you can read that's going to tell you exactly what you need to do with your life to meet your destiny. And so the Yoda character is so important in this. I mean, sort of underestimated. You're meeting Yoda when he is very old and having a hard time getting around. There were times where I was watching the puppeteering and I'm like, okay, they really made this puppet look like he was struggling to get up on the table Half of me was like, well, maybe it was hard to move that puppet so it looked like it was moving spryly. But when we go to the prequels and he's running around and dancing through the air and shooting and you yeah. know, being a mighty warrior, it's hard to have imagined that he was the same puppet from Empire Strikes Back. But um, he is definitely somebody who um, has captured the imagination um, in the same way as maybe our mentors do. I definitely, I will always be pro puppet Yoda over CGI Yoda any any day of the week. Um, Same. Oh, man. What? Uh, going to go to my notes real quick to make sure I don't miss anything. I guess just, again, branching out a little bit, and I feel like we've started to, to touch on this already in such a, a beautiful way. Thank you so much. What do you think it means to you to be a a gay Star Wars fan? Like where do those things have an intersectionality for you? Um, what, what is that? Because again, we don't, something we talk about sort of in the prologue to this podcast is we don't have a ton of sort of 
canonical representation. So why do we keep coming to this galaxy far, far away? You know, I think uh, Star Wars is pretty popular. So you could never say like, oh, it's this cottage industry that <laughs> people aren't into because sure. they're into it. But I do think the watching of it is very different for somebody who feels like they're an outsider. And I think the universe of Star Wars is chock full with so many types of characters. I mean, it will be full of queer characters very soon, I'm sure, even yeah. more than the, the obvious ones. Um, but I think because it's so chock full of characters and you can find yourself in that universe, I think there's also the, the notion of being able to dress up and be those characters that's, that's so exciting for folks. So I think someone might have seen Star Wars and liked it for the action. And maybe a lot of gay people saw Star Wars and liked it for the journey. And they liked mm. it for uh, the little side characters, uh, you know, the Babu Fricks and the... Um, <laughs> You know, the little moments with some of the junk dealers and uh, side characters that were a lot like what we deal with when we're going out for a night on the town. And, you, know, <laughs> and, you know, you've got somebody who's giving you this sassy advice or this um, little tidbit of uh, something funny or interesting. And so I think we're watching it with a completely different lens. I think we watch all media with a very different lens. And we're going to notice that outsider we're going to beeline for that outsider and want to relate or be or spend more time with that person. Uh, yeah, there's a reason why there's a you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in the story with the C-3PO and R2-D2 that could be your, uh, you know, could be where you're spending your time feasting your eyes on everything they're doing. Um, so there's just so much, so rich for folks. And I think, um, you know, some people don't understand Star Wars. They just say like, oh, you're into that Star Trek thing. I'm like, Star Wars, you know, I like Star Trek too. Uh, <laughs> but um, you, you know the difference between somebody who really knows their Star Wars and and just uh, mildly is amused by the occasional Star Wars. I need you to know, by the way, the the... I know you can't see him right now, but the fact that you brought up Babu Frick, I'm positive that Jake, our audio engineer, is in the other room dancing maniacally. Um, the best character of the uh, most recent feature film. Whew, I have... I have differing opinions about Babu Frick, but I and I think <laughs> not, to, not to cheat the Rise of Skywalker episode that will come. I, for some reason, I have, I have glommed all my anger about Rise of Skywalker oh, onto Babu Frick. Character. He doesn't, do, he, she, they does not deserve it. Um, uh, that <laughs> character was a spark of joy. I could have used 30 more of characters of that note in there that they weren't just bringing the emperor back for no good reason. Oh, or, God. But, All yeah, right, Disney, um, the people have spoken. The trilogy was, um, I thought it started with such promise and certainly uh, Ryan Johnson did some amazing things in the second one, but um, the more I think about that third one, um, I don't have the kind of rage that the people on Twitter did about it, but um, it really didn't fulfill its promise. It sort of um, it didn't fulfill the promise of that trilogy, and certainly of the nine movies together. It had um, it was resting on a lot of shoulders and didn't quite <laughs> didn't quite get it. So. I agree, and, and and again, I think you make a very fair point. It had a lot to do. It had a lot to sort of carry through. So it was always a lot we were asking of it. But I agree that it's didn't didn't come through for, I think, anybody in the end, fans or characters we'd come to care about. It felt like a studio 
Um, Are we still here? Sorry, yeah, I think we've had a little technical deviation. Okay, there. Sorry. Yeah, we are can on studio creation rather than um, a legitimate story. Absolutely. The I think you I think you're right. Sort of that that Frankenstein analogy of like there were too many people and maybe nobody had a did no one have coffee to talk about where we were going with it like we could have had a meeting maybe um anyway well speaking of the studio involved uh, one of my fun questions i like to ask if you could bust into a disney boardroom right now and you have the power to make any star wars character canonically queer in which in whatever expression for them um, who would who would you pick and why? <laughs> yes. um, Oscar Isaac's character. <laughs> Valid. Oh, Poe Dameron. I think Oscar Isaac agrees with you. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! It seemed like they were trying on the side to get the studios to listen. Like people are ready for this. Um, but uh, I loved his character, and I felt like it was something else that got sidelined by the end. But. Um, uh, I was always thinking they needed another character as charming as Han Solo, and they found it. And yeah. it didn't rise uh, to the forefront in any way for the second or third of the new trilogy. But um, yeah, probably for selfish reasons, I'm I'm making him queer. Hey, I your feelings are valid, and we support you. That's that's wonderful. <laughs> Man, speaking of Han Solo, I felt really struck this morning. Um, like Han Solo shouldn't work. I just felt very, I mean, and I just, I give all that credit to Harrison Ford. Oh, in other words, how he's written and what he has to do. Yeah, like he, so no, he's kind of- The things he are pretty arrogant. And, um, and you're right, coming out of Harrison Ford for some reason, it's charming, but. Like I think in other hands, Han Solo could have been really slimy and he's not. And I I think for me, um as a as a an assigned female at birth, non-binary person, I think I've become more and more sensitive to characters who maybe in my adolescence I was told, well, this is the like handsome boy one. And now I feel more skeptical to be like, oh, he's such a jerk. Why did I ever think he was cute? And there's some things Han Solo like says and even does that I was like, anybody else would not be able to get away with this. Yeah, um, he calls himself gorgeous. He's like, yeah. you want to be with a gorgeous man like me? And I was like, oh, first of all, that sounded so 80s. And yeah. secondly, <laughs> yeah, just so arrogant. And, you know, basically most of the romance between him and Leia was him telling her how much he how awesome he was. I know, like, and him telling her kind of like, oh, I know how you feel about me. And it's like, oh, only, again, all due respect to Alden Ehrenreich, who I think does as much as he can in Solo. Great. But I think only Harrison Ford makes that character not a creep. <laughs> no, I agree. I think he had to be written differently in Solo, a Star Wars story, to to not deliver lines exactly the same way Han Solo did. Because sure. Um, you had to have that protagonist in it be likable. And I think if you had a whole movie about Han Solo, even though some people would dream of that uh, with Harrison Ford's Han Solo, it might not be that pleasant <laughs> as much as he's a great character in the mix. 
Well, and I think going back to something you said earlier, I think all these characters come alive in the found family aspect of this story. So I don't really, you know, again, I think Solo's a fun little romp. I had a good time. I'm, I, I will happily watch it again. But I think we love these characters as they grow when they find each other. Um, and that's what's so special about their relationships and their stories is we watch them in tandem growing um, together. And then obviously in Luke's case, being a little more isolated, but always coming back. Um, especially when he's presented with this opportunity at the end of Empire, you know, come rule the entire galaxy by my side. Um, and so rejecting, even though it's new, rejecting these sort of familial ties to go back to the found family who has already proven to love him and take care of him and see him for who he is. Um, so yeah, I don't need a, I don't really need a, a solo adventure for anybody. I like when they're hanging out. Absolutely. No, I love that notion of the found family. And um, I think everyone can see themselves in it. Um, I think it's virtually impossible to not see yourself in multiple characters in a Star Wars movie. And that's just so great. You can admire the courage of one, the swagger of one, the journey of another, and the um, vulnerability of another, and 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 take those pieces together to sort of form what your destiny is going to be. And uh, but it absolutely, I think for us growing up reading the comic books, the books, you know, getting anything our hands on with the video games, the action figures, it gave you a chance to make those characters even more special and bring them to life in more ways. And I think a lot of what we bring to those characters when we watch them on the screen is so much more of what we've built up in our minds. I mean, you mentioned Dragon Con earlier, the idea that they're someone who chooses to be Bikini Leia or you know, who just determines to be um, Bib Fortuna or uh, an Ewok or whatever. They found what they wanted there. And chances are, we don't really know what went through Wicket's head uh, all that much, but right. I'm sure the person who is in the Wicket, Wicket <laughs> costume has a backstory and a front story and knows what those bears are doing. And um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the scruffy looking nerf herder is definitely uh, got his or her story to, uh, <laughs> to bear. Oh man, I love that. And it just, as we're kind of deep nerd diving, you mentioned fan fiction earlier. Have you ever gotten into Star Wars fan fiction? Um, so I have not. I definitely heard okay. about uh, Poe Finn love stories. And I think if I were going to read something, I might have to delve into those because that sounds pretty great. Right. I similarly you know you recommend. I don't right now, but I bet I could find some. <laughs> I have another fandom that I tend to be more on the fan fiction side. And I think for me, honestly, I've always felt so intimidated by the larger Star Wars fandom because it feels like more of a, no, this is how it is kind of place. Um, and so I think I've been very fearful to tread my own little baby opinions into like, well, I think this person feels this way. Um, but all to say, I am on archive of our own. I will find you some recommendations. <laughs> oh, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's really hard to know what is canon and what is not these days. And I think you know you can go off on your own side adventures with that. And um, you know, Star Wars is now everybody's. It's sort of like a wiki, wiki Star Wars where everybody can co-create their little parts. So uh, that's pretty exciting. 
they keep adding backstories and front stories and side stories to everything. So it's endless possibilities. It's it really is like it's such a vast universe of what is and what could be. And I think the more that we as a fandom consider it a playground and not this thing we have to fight and not a, a war zone all the time. Uh, I think the more that we can, you know, going back to your your action figures, the more we can sort of share our Star Wars toys with each other and be excited about. Hey, do you think straight or gay fans have been more angry on Twitter about recent Star Wars things that they can uh, I mean, I'm not sure about straight versus gay. I think racist Star Wars fans have Ooh, maybe had the most to just had it, most to say. Yeah, like the treatment of John Boyega and Kelly Marie Tran and Oscar Isaac. And I mean, and, and Daisy Ridley too, just the sheer rejection of all non-white cis male characters in the new trilogy. Just, I don't understand how you can love Star Wars so much and not know that that makes you a bad guy. Yeah, that you're all of a sudden the bully. You know? Yeah, like you're you're the you're the Empire. You're the First Order. That's not how the rebels would behave. What are you no. talking about? It's definitely surprising, and it's sort of you know it seems like some people have ordered their Star Wars universe to be a certain way, and maybe those of us who grew up letting it be our playground, like you said, can really enjoy other people getting to play in that playground, and you know you can have this type of character that's never been explored come in there and. You know, we're going to live. The Star Wars movies are still what they are. and uh, But being inclusive um, shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be something that is fought by people who love Star Wars. Sure. Well, it's, it's not a threat and it doesn't take anything away from anything maybe we've loved in the past. Like, like, honestly, I and again, I I am an angry Rise of Skywalker person and I've had to really clock for myself because I have friends who sincerely love it. And I don't for a minute want to take away their sparkle or their joy about a thing that made them happy because these are movies about space wizards and they should make you happy. Um, they should not be worth the consternation I have spent oh. being angry about Rise of Skywalker. There's other stuff going on. Um, and, and, and reminding for myself, like the fact that Rise of Skywalker is not my jam I'll just rewatch The Last Jedi. You know, it doesn't take anything away from me just right. because it's not my specific cup of tea in this particular universe. And I think that's the bigger this gets. And I think the more we as fans feel ownership of it, the more covetous we become of, I want it to be the thing I liked and I want it to be the way I liked it. And it's just not gonna get us anywhere. I absolutely agree. Um, and I guess you know the fact that that's the ninth of a of a very long series of feature films doesn't really make it the end because we've already seen some new portals into television shows. We'll have future feature films, and who knows what our favorite thing is going to be in ten years? But it seems like there's more of it now. I think the fact that my generation waited so long for the prequel trilogy to show up uh, made it even harder for us to imagine but you've got some people who started off with those and just have fallen in love with those characters. I mean, if you started with that, you'd have a lot to love. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you're kind of studying the movies as some of us do and you're like, wow, George Lucas, who was capable of 
THX 1138, American Graffiti, and Star Wars A New Hope, he's really going to direct Phantom Menace this way? And this is what he thinks is the, you know, this is his latest autorial direction um, work. So, yeah, we're going to say that's not uh, fine filmmaking in some cases, even though there are aspects of it that were technologically brilliant and there were things in it that people love now. You can introduce Darth Ball for a few seconds and that becomes something that fan fiction could write for <laughs> decades. Um, and so it is interesting to be a student of the movies and also just someone who's viscerally taking them in and you can help as we get older to study it more and say like, ah, oh, I think the reason a movie was dis movie was disappointing was a combination of the screenplay, the direction, what the studio was expecting, you know, having to even sit there and say, do you think we could make this love story work? You know, uh, you know, the Kelly Marie Tran or the John Boyega character, do you think we could take that person more into the forefront or is our story pushing us this way? I do think that um, uh, Carrie Fisher's death pushed Rise uh, of Skywalker in some directions that did push some characters back a little bit. But then you also see that and you're like, well, we're introducing new characters. So clearly there was time in this movie to, to bring in a few other new ones. So could have spent some time with some other ones that were emerging, but um, I definitely think that's what starts tricking us uh, as students of the movies that we're like, oh, you know, that ending of, of Rise of Skywalker wasn't nearly as fun as the ending of A New Hope or Return of the Jedi or any one of right. Even the parade in Phantom Menace was more exciting than the end of Rose. We gotta <laughs> love a Naboo parade. <laughs> end. I needed 30 planets to explode with fireworks. And even if it had been just crazy over the top, I'm like, well, at least they nailed the ending, but it was sort of benign as well. Just sort of sure. just sort of stopped. <laughs> Well, Stephen, on the subject of endings, um, we're going to go ahead and uh, start to wrap it up. Can you tell us, first of all, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I love your podcast, and I'm looking really forward to hearing the rest. Thank you so much. Where can we find, I, you mentioned it at the beginning, but can you remind us where we can find your film reviews? Sure. It is at silverscreencapture.com. So I had to explain to my mom, it's like the silver screen matinee idols and then screen capture of the technology age silverscreencapture.com and I review indies and mainstream movies and just love that. It's my favorite side hustle. I've done it since third grade. So, Oh, I love that. Oh man. Kudos to all the current third grade film reviewers out there right now. It is what a beautiful future you have ahead of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, my pleasure to be on today and um, Empire Strikes Back, a uh, phenomenal movie. If you haven't seen it out there, um, check it out. Yeah, if, if for all you newbies in the crowd, it's a lot of fun. It's, you know, pack a sack. It's a hard journey, but you got it. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. And all right, folks, uh, this has been Star Wars Made Me Gay. Oh, Stephen's got a little Grogu. You can't see him, but they're perfect. Um, this has been Star Wars Made Me Gay. I'm Danny Hurd. May the force be with you. From the Make Mom Proud Project, this is Star Wars Made Me Gay. I'm your host, Daniel Hurd. This podcast is produced by Daniel Hurd and Jacob McKee in conjunction with Jacob and Ding Dang Studios. Edited by Jacob McKee. Associate produced by Austin Jeter. Original music by Brady Dunn. Cover art by Joshua Hudson. Special thanks to Maddie and Peter Lapinto. Star Wars is the exclusive property of Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company.
Ding, 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 ding.